0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, Mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music. March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu.
1: Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando, and for today's show, we're going to talk about the best movies of 2015. Let me start my look back on 2015 with a big sigh of relief. Star Wars The Force Awakens brought us out of the dark times and proved that going to a new Star Wars movie in theaters could be a good thing. The Force Awakens is not a great film, but it's the healing film we needed as fans. So although the movie didn't make my top 10, it's a film I love and am grateful for. Another thing I'm grateful for this year are strong roles for actresses these female characters are not so much role models as women who drive the plots of their films and are not merely reacting to what the male characters are doing. In other words, they're creating their own destinies. Topping this list are Daisy Ridley in The Force Awakens, Kate Blanchett in Rooney Mara in Carol, and of course Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road. You've done this before? Many times.
0: Now that I drive a war rig... This is the best shot I'll ever have. And then? Um, They're looking for hope. What about you?
1: Redemption. I know some people are trying to turn Theron's Furiosa into a feminist icon, but I think the film is more humanist than feminist. In that post-apocalyptic future, feminism seems a narrow perspective when the entire human race is in danger of exterminating itself and is in desperate need of hope and redemption. As for the men, kudos to Kurt Russell and that fabulous handlebar mustache of his for almost single-handedly reviving the American Western with Bone Tomahawk and The Hateful Eight. In the latter, he plays a bounty hunter trying to survive a blizzard trapped with his prisoner and six unsavory characters in Minnie's Haberdashery. One of them fellas, is not what he says he is what is he, he in cahoots with this one that's what he is one of them maybe even two of them is here to see dommer goes free Are you show sure you ain't just being paranoid our best bet is this duplicitous fella and his cool customers daisy here he won't have the leather patience it takes to just sit here he can't handle it He'll stop waiting, try and create his opportunity, and that's when Mr. Jumpy reveals himself. And high praise, too, for Tom Hardy's diverse work in Mad Max Fury Road, Legend, and The Revenant. But my pick for this year's top actor goes hands down to Brian Cranston in Trumbo.
0: You talk like a radical, but you live like a rich guy. It's a perfect combination. The radical may fight the purity of Jesus, but the rich guy wins with the cunning of Satan.
1: Not only does he bring a fiery passion to the blacklisted writer on screen, but he was pivotal behind the scenes in bringing this dark chapter of American history to light. Before I get to my 10 best list, I want to give a shout-out to David Ehrlich, who writes for Rolling Stone and did a video countdown of his 25 favorite movies. One of the films he includes is a short called The World of Tomorrow. That inspired me to give a shout-out here to a trio of short films that screened at San Diego's Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, for which I was on the selection committee. These are films from young, independent filmmakers who display a fresh but mature cinematic voice. The films are Eric Sumanji's My Mother's Songs, Nacho Rui Perez's The Huckster, and Adam Ani's Bunny.
0: It's an interesting-looking painting. It's one of mine. My mother used to paint. She once told me, Abby,
1: you can't paint pain. You can only paint through it. She always knew what to say. I especially wanted to mention Bunny because the filmmaker submitted two versions of his film to the festival. One was about 10 minutes long, and the other was his preferred cut of about 30 minutes. The 10-minute film was solid, but nothing special. However, the longer cut was brilliant and served up a horror film that, like the other two shorts, pushed the envelope on how we define horror. So I wanted to especially include Bunny to further bolster Ani's confidence in his cut of the film and to convince him to destroy the other. I also want to mention a trio of feature films that never played in San Diego, but deserve attention for challenging our expectations about what cinema can be. Guy Madden's The Forbidden Room was like a fever dream on acid. Alexi German's Hard to Be a God made you think twice about how you define science fiction. And Shion Sono's Tokyo Tribe served up an action rap musical.
0: (laughs) ¶¶
1: Honorable mentions go out to the following films. The tightly constructed horror film We Are Still Here and the thought-provoking sci-fi film Ex Machina for genre filmmaking at its very best. The darkly disturbing Drown, the cleverly crafted Phoenix, and the intensely intimate Room. Now to the countdown of my number one film for 2015. In the number 10 slot is the genre film, It Follows. This nifty horror film reminded us what Creeping Dread felt like and boasted the year's most innovative score. At number 9 is a film that perfectly merged indie filmmaking with an established franchise, Creed. How good was he? Follow well, Yeah, he was great. He was a perfect fighter. Ain't nobody ever better. So how'd you beat him? Time beat him. Time, you know, takes everybody out. It's undefeated.
0: Anyway, I got lot lock up. So when up. Mickey
1: died, he came and talked to you, right? Talked you out of quitting, took you to LA, trained you, brought you back. How do you know all this? How do you think? What are you, like a cousin?
0: He's my father.
1: Major props to writer-director Ryan Coogler, who smartly convinced Hollywood that he could make a mainstream film with little-known African-American performers in the lead roles and then market it as a Rocky sequel. Coogler gave it just the right mix of serious drama and Rocky sentimentality. At number eight is the sublimely crafted martial arts film The Assassin. The novelty here is that it comes from arthouse director Ho Shen, who focuses on the stillness between brief bursts of action to create a deliriously elegant period film. As someone who loves genre films, I'm thrilled to be able to include so many in my year-end review. Coming in at number seven is George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road, which has all the trappings of a high-octane action film, but finds a humanity underneath.
0: feels like hope.
1: Look, it'll be a hard day. But I guarantee you that 160 days ride that way, there's
0: nothing but salt. At least that way, you know,
1: we might be able to, together, come across some kind of redemption. A strong cast allows this action film to become a tale of redemption. Plus, no one shoots car stunts like Miller. No one. In the sixth slot is the documentary Hitchcock Truffaut, a film that simply makes you fall in love with cinema all over again.
0: Lodger was the first time I'd exercised any style.
1: Let's go from documentary to mockumentary as I place What We Do in the Shadows at number five. No other film this year made me laugh harder than this deadpan comedy about the trials and tribulations of being a modern-day vampire.
0: I wrote that song for a lovely lady that I was once in love with. Alas, it was never meant to be because I ate her.
1: The films from writers and stars Jermaine Clement and Taka Waititi. At number four is a film that had a surprising amount of humor despite a bleak topic. Trumbo looks at how the blacklist affected Hollywood writer Dalton Trumbo.
0: Look, you're a great writer. We make... I don't see it. Mr. King, I'm a screenwriter. If I couldn't write, I'd starve. Trumbo, we can't afford you. Well, how much did you pay for the script of... That Bad Men of Tombstone. 1,200 bucks. All right. I'll write you a movie for 1,200 then. And you don't want your name on it? No, you don't want my name on it. You got that right. Especially if you're still, uh, you know, up to stuff. Are you? Perpetually.
1: The film displays a sharp and biting wit as it tackles a dark chapter in U.S. history. Brian Cranston as Trumbo makes the film zing. In the number three slot is the strangest, hardest-to-describe film on the list, a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence. I'm not sure how to convey the experience of watching Roy Anderson's film, except to say that it has the deadpan comic precision of Buster Keaton, but without the physical pratfalls. Anderson makes me laugh with just his visual composition, Each scene is like a still-life painting in which an incongruity makes me smile. There's so many wondrous moments to savor as Anderson challenges expectations about narrative structure as he explores what it means to be human. At number two is Bone Tomahawk, a film that I went all the way to Wales to see because it never played in San Diego. Okay, that's a slight exaggeration, but I did see it in Wales at the Abitur Horror Festival. As with the other films I mentioned earlier, it's criminal when films this good never open in San Diego. Uh, S. Craig Zeller's Bone Tomahawk is a slow-burn Western that builds tension with nerve-wracking precision. We need to compact our gear and bury the remainder. If we sleep, it should be in hot daylight, not now. Mr. O'Dwyer... That valley is at least a two-day walk. I'll try to match your pace. If I fall behind, I'll catch up when you sleep. Bruder, compact your gear to the essentials. We'll carry your stuff. Go on. Get ahead of us. This is a far better example of the Western genre than Quentin Tarantino's revisionist, Hateful Eight. And now for the number one film. It's a tie. Sorry, there was no other way to resolve this besides awarding a tie, because the films were both masterful but totally different. Let me start with the documentary The Look of Silence from Joshua Oppenheimer. Last year I had its documentary The Act of Killing on my 10 best list, and The Look of Silence is a stunning companion piece. In an interview by David Pollan for The Oral History of Hollywood, Oppenheimer explains the catalyst that prompted both films.
0: I always knew there were two films to make from this. There's a scene in The Look of Silence, which really was the genesis of both films. It's a scene where two perpetrators take me down to a river bank, taking turns playing victim and perpetrator. They bring me to a clearing at the bank of the river where they've helped kill 10,500 people at, at that one spot. And they show me gleefully how they did it. And at the end, they pause to take pictures of each other, posing, giving the thumbs up, the V for victory, to commemorate their wonderful afternoon out. For me, it was one of the worst afternoons of my life, shooting that. It was just a little bit traumatizing. One of the th- not just because they were talking about such awful things, but because of the way they were talking about it. These were two men who hardly knew each other. They were leaders of neighboring de- death squads from neighboring villages. Hardly knew each other, but they absolutely knew how to speak together about it. It was as though they were reading from a shared script. And I understood there was a genre almost of how the killers
1: talk about what they've done, if they've won and stayed in power and never been forced to change how they talk about it. And to close, Todd Haynes's Carol shares the number one spot for 2015 with The Look of Silence. Haynes has grown more mature and assured with each film becoming more technically polished, but he hasn't lost any of his indie guerrilla sensibilities. In Carol, he looks at what he calls the radicality of love by exploring a taboo lesbian relationship in the 1950s. So what kind of name is Belivet? It's Czech changed originally
0: it it's was... very original well and your first name Therese Therese not Teresa no Therese Balivet. it's lovely and yours Carol Carol what do you do on Sundays nothing in particular what do you do Nothing lately. I mean, if you'd like to come visit me sometime, you're welcome to. At least there's some pretty country around where I live. Would you like to come visit me this Sunday? Yes.
1: (laughs) What a strange girl you are. Carol and the Look of Silence topped my list because they're as close to perfection as films can get. Both directors understand how to use everything at their disposal, editing, music, cinematography, to work toward a single effect, which is creating compelling cinema. Some of these films, like Carol and Hitchcock Truffaut, are still playing in theaters. Most of the others are available streaming. If this list inspires anyone to seek out any of these films, then I can close out the year feeling I've done my job. Here's looking forward to next year. Thanks for listening to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Until our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando.